Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, y'all. Ryan Sprague here. As you all know, the Somewhere in the Skies podcast is always free to consume, but it isn't free to create. That's why I've started this Somewhere in the Skies Patreon campaign. On a monthly basis, you give what you think the show is worth. You'll be helping the show continue, grow, and to be something truly communal. And remember, there are rewards for each level of contribution, and the list is only growing. So please, help Somewhere in the Skies now by becoming a patron. To contribute and to learn more, visit www.patreon.com backslash somewhere skies. Thank you for your support. And now, on with the show. Warning. If you like your UFO literature to confirm what you already know, this is not the book for you. From White Crow Books comes a brand new collection of essays, 14 authors, one goal, to shatter the UFO topic and pick up the pieces in a whole new light. Compiled and edited by Robbie Graham, with a foreword by Professor Diana walsh Pasolka. UFOs Reframing the Debate is a cold, hard slap in the face for ufology. Delivered with love. UFOs Reframing the Debate. Available now in paperback and ebook on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble, the Book Depository, and the iBooks Store. For a complete list of contributors and to learn more, visit RobbieGram.uk. Hello, this is David Marler, and you're listening to Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. In 2016, I was asked to contribute an original essay to a book that would be compiled and edited by cinema studies professor and UFO researcher Robbie Graham. The book was called UFOs, Reframing the Debate. In short, it was a collection of essays exploring alternative perspectives on UFOs and how we might more usefully study the phenomenon in the 21st century. It was released in 2017, and it was a cold, hard slap in the face for ufology. It was a call to break away from established ideas, approaches, and practices, and it boldly treaded a new path in understanding what may very well be the greatest mystery of our time. As you can imagine, the book was both loved and hated. With such varying theories and approaches, it's no surprise that the book was as divisive as it was. It takes a lot to challenge people's thoughts and beliefs. It takes even more to change them. But with this book, we didn't set out to change anyone's mind on the UFO phenomenon and the way we investigate and study it. We merely wanted to shake things up and make people think. 
And that's exactly what I wanted to do with my essay. And with permission by Robbie Graham and White Crow Books, I now bring you my essay in its entirety. I hope you'll pick up the book to read the incredible eye-opening and mind-expanding essays that make up UFOs, reframing the debate. And I hope you enjoy my essay titled Frankenstein and Flying Saucers, Creating, Destroying, and Reanimating a Phenomenal Monster. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! On November 17, 2012, the Association for the Scientific Study of Anomalous Phenomena held a summit in England to determine if ufology was a dead field. It was based on the notion that UFO sightings were in a steep decline. Directly following the summit, chairman of ASSAP, Dave Wood, told the UK Telegraph, We look at these things on the balance of possibilities, and this area of study has been ongoing for decades. The lack of compelling evidence beyond the pure anecdotal suggests that on the balance of probabilities, nothing is out there. It is certainly a possibility that in 10 years' time, it will be a dead subject. These were sobering words, and they made international headlines. The true believers simply shrugged off Wood's statement as nothing more than aggressive UFO debunkery. And perhaps rightfully so. Similar words have been spoken many times before. In an article for Saucers magazine, Max Miller stated, Much of the enthusiasm over UFOs has vanished in recent years due to a lack of sightings and important developments. Also, the unimaginable quantity of material, almost wholly devoid of a new approach or even new data, has flooded the UFO field in recent years and has done little more than deluge a respectable subject with wholesale garbage. That quote by Miller was written in 1959, some five decades prior to the 2012 UK summit. Essentially, same discussion of the same issue separated by more than 50 years. As technology has evolved, anomalous objects in the sky have become increasingly identifiable. Year after year, the heart rate of ufology seems to weaken. Some would argue it's already flatlined. But the phenomenon itself seems always to find a way to resuscitate the field. In a paper titled Ufology, Is There Life After Death? Researcher and author Jenny Randalls states, Eventually, something will spark humanity's desire to know about these things, which any prolonged absence of wide public reporting will fuel. This spark of interest has taken many forms throughout the history of ufology. A mass sighting of a boomerang craft over the skies of Phoenix, Arizona in 1997, for example. Or a disc-shaped object piercing the clouds over gate C-17 of Chicago's O'Hare Airport in 2006. More recently, the spark has come from the outer reaches of space with a discovery in 2016 of a habitable planet orbiting Earth's closest star, Proxima Centauri. It is such events and discoveries that converge into a desire to learn more and to know more about UFOs. Why then 
Do some feel it's necessary to hang a toe tag on ufology every time it hits a brick wall? We often fear that which we don't understand. And if the history of UFO study has taught us anything, it's that we understand very little. Yet, even if we did, would we not fear that knowledge as well? In 1818 England, at the age of 20, Mary Shelley brought her now iconic monster to literary life. It wouldn't be until 1823 that her name would appear on the second edition in France. The novel, Frankenstein, is arguably one of the first examples of science fiction. The protagonist, Dr. Victor Frankenstein, making a decision to create life using science, alchemy, and technology. He achieves this divine goal with results both fantastic and terrifying. The manifestation is the monster we've grown to fear and love. So how exactly does this brilliantly grotesque story relate to ufology? We can start with a sharp distinction between Shelley's original novel and the classic 1931 film directed by James Whale. Near the beginning of the film, Dr. Frankenstein's assistant breaks into a university to steal a brain for his master's experiment. He swipes a jar marked normal brain, but is startled by a noise. This causes him to drop the jar, damaging the brain and rendering it useless. He then takes a second jar labeled abnormal brain. This would subsequently be implanted into the monster with disastrous results. Interestingly, this entire scene had no part in the original novel. Regardless, in the film version, the monster's consciousness was explored, and the primitive creature found itself aware of its reality, causing it to lash out in a frenzy of emotions it could neither process nor control. Had the monster any understanding of who or what it was, perhaps the story would have unfolded differently. Or perhaps not. But the role of consciousness in the film narrative was just as valuable and essential. For me, this brings to mind ufology. We can look at the blood of the monster, seek to study its physical matter, or we can seek to understand its consciousness. To do this, we might start by turning the microscope on ourselves to understand better how our consciousness, individual and collective, interacts with phenomenal stimuli. Reality, in its simplest of definitions, is the quality or state of being actual or true. However, when we look at the definitions of actual and true, we find both words defined as consistent with reality. The definitions not only contradict one another, they circle around in a whirlpool of unverifiable factors. Therefore, we find ourselves relying on something a bit more cerebral. In addition to taste, sight, touch, smell, and hearing, we have a sense of awareness. We are aware of a reality which we believed into existence. This theme was explored by the late Jim Keith, co-author of The Octopus and publisher of various alternative magazines. In November of 1995, Keith gave a talk in Atlanta, Georgia, where he went into a deep deconstruction of reality through the lens of human perception. In a published 1997 version of his talk in Paranoia magazine titled UFOs at the Edge of Reality, 
Keith stated, Awareness is potentially a creator, and it can create freedoms, and it can create limitations. The fact that ten people or a thousand people believe the same thing does not render said thing any more real in absolute sense. But it does point out the structural underpinning of the determinant of illusion called reality. What people believe deep down is what they consider reality. Can we then extrapolate that the existence of UFO phenomena rests solely on our belief in them? Jim Keith notes, I think that their existence challenges the tightly formulated definitions of reality and imagination and points up the limitations of those definitions. It seems to me that UFOs sometimes happily cross these lines of demarcation and defy the definitions. The way they do this gives us some clues to the something else to the nature of reality, what is real, and what is possible in terms of the understanding and potential expansion of awareness. This expansion of awareness needs also to be explored. Even to scratch the surface of the UFO enigma, we must move past the mentality that we are dealing purely with nuts and bolts, past the notion that the key to the UFO phenomenon lies in physical analysis. Jacques Vallée once stated that human beings are under the control of a strange force that bends them in absurd ways, forcing them to play a role in a bizarre game of deception. Could this deception relate to human perception? The mind has perceptual limits, a filtering mechanism that, based on our awareness, shows us only what we can process in a manageable format. It works under restraints that have been carefully constructed throughout an individual's life and throughout the long history of our species. Are those who witness UFOs breaking those perceptual restraints? Awareness and perception are the heart of reality. We perceive things on a scale of either filtering that which we see or widening our scope to accommodate more. When the scope is broadened, we are aware of our newly enhanced perception, thus altering our former perception of reality. We have, in essence, created a new reality for ourselves. This could be the very reason the UFO phenomenon exists in the first place. Could it be possible that we have created a phenomenon that stretches the limits of our own perceptual reality? It may be that our established modes of logic limit us so greatly that we can't fully comprehend the monster we've created. We must ultimately face the fact, at some point, the awareness of that monster is going to shape and mold our consciousness completely moving forward. In a 2014 article titled Consciousness Inside Out, science writer and anthropologist Eric Wargo states, We are at a crux in our science and our culture when a new model is you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Desperately needed to think about the relationship between consciousness and material reality. Much as I'm sympathetic with those who privilege consciousness against materialistic reductionism, I think a more nuanced, hierarchical relationship between mind and matter must be possible. The majority of witnesses I've spoken with who've encountered UFOs have described feeling as though their reality was somehow altered in the moment. Time seems to slow down, and the air around them seems different. Their senses seem to either be heightened or disappear altogether. It's as if their perception is fundamentally challenged, and they are left with only a hazy memory of what they'd actually seen, having no meaningful frame or reference in which to place it. Whether or not this is partly due to whatever is in control of the UFO is speculative. It could very well be the tuner or limitation of the current awareness and perception of the individual. And, as Wargo points out, we are left wondering if the materialistic makeup of the UFO is actually there in front of us to feel, smell, and hear, or if it's something bending, as Valet puts it, into a contorted reality. While many UFO researchers argue that the question is no longer if UFOs exist, I argue that this still is in question. It's a matter of how one views existence. Wargo goes on to say that the word exist comes from the Greek existere, or to stand forth. As mystics from time immemorial have insisted, the material world is a manifestation of consciousness, the self-word continuum experienced passively as observed rather than actively as observing. These two aspects pass from one another at certain mysterious boundaries, in dreams, at death, and in paranormal phenomena, such as UFOs, that turn our outside into an inside, or vice versa, without our quite being aware how we made the passage. This passage between established and newfound realities is where UFOs seem to float, hover, zip, coast, appear, and disappear 
in and out of ambiguity. But even more interesting is the theory that the UFOs, as physical objects we perceive, have been created and manifested through our own pre-existing awareness of the UFO phenomenon to begin with. We believe that UFOs are coming to us under their own volition. But what if we were subconscious initiators pulling UFOs in? This could explain why, even in the case of mass sightings, individuals see the same objects slightly different from one another, their previous awareness shaping and molding the object from their own set of reduction valves and evolving perception. While the manifestation may begin with an individual source, what happens when hundreds, if not thousands, of those individuals have the same thought? We call this collective consciousness. The term was introduced by the French sociologist Emile Durkheim in 1893 and has since sparked much debate among sociologists, psychologists, and scientists. But it may very well tell us more about UFOs than any sighting report or radar tracking ever could. Let's theorize for a moment that an extraterrestrial intelligence is responsible in part for some UFO phenomena. Given that we now live in an age where privatized space travel is possible on a grand scale, ambitions expand with every manned or unmanned journey. As more time progresses and our reach beyond the stars stretches further, we are collectively accepting that traveling to other planets is within reach, and so is the possibility of discovering other life forms. Because of this expansion in the collective consciousness, we may in fact be manifesting the extraterrestrial presence in more ways than we think. Keeping in mind that many claim and believe we have already been visited by non-human intelligences, is it possible that as we journey outward into the cosmos, we are pulling this alien phenomenon closer to us? They've accepted us into their reality having presumably been monitoring us for decades, if not centuries. Is it now our turn to meet them halfway? In his best-selling book, Passport to Magonia, From Folklore to Flying Saucers, Jacques Vallée postulates, There exists a natural phenomenon whose manifestations border on both the physical and the mental. There is a medium in which human dreams can be implemented and this is the mechanism by which UFO events are generated, needing no superior intelligence to trigger them. This would explain the fugitivity of UFO manifestations, the alleged contact with friendly occupants, and the fact that the objects appear to keep pace with human technology and to use current symbols. Is it possible, in Valet's opinion, that there may be no other half to the non-human equation? We may quite possibly be manifesting these events all on our own, in a dreamlike state, and through alien-inspired interpretations. But why do we deny this possibility, that we are in control? This Semmelweis reflex of sorts may depend on the lack of evidence, whether scientifically, philosophically, psychologically, or physically. But, to the contrary, what stark, irrefutable evidence do we have otherwise of purely physical nuts-and-bolts phenomena controlled solely by non-human intelligences? 
While many scoff at the idea of a metaphysical approach to the UFO phenomenon, which conjures images of New Agers and Space Brothers and Sisters, it very well could lead us to a new path. But is it a path worth taking? When I learned of what several colleagues were going to talk about in this collection of essays of UFOs reframing the debate, I noticed strikingly similar ideas and concepts to my own in terms of human manifestation of these phenomena. At first, this made me hesitate, fearing a stalemate in terms of bringing forth new contributions to the debate. But pushing that small whisper of pride aside, I realized this is exactly the point. I wasn't alone in my ideas. Not only did it excite me to find others researching these topics, but it made me feel that I was indeed on a path worth taking. A notable addition to the debate is that of UFO researcher and author Greg Bishop, who also theorizes that we may be manifesting UFO events unknowingly somewhere deep in the subconscious, and that perhaps some UFO experiences may be co-created in the moment by the observer and some anomalous intelligence stimulus. In conversation with me about this, Bishop explained that our subconscious picks up many things in which our conscious minds are unaware. The fact that some people can suffer head trauma and suddenly become amazing artists or mathematicians or speak a completely foreign language means that either we somehow all have this ability or we are constantly ingesting far more information than we possibly can use. Could we then theorize that UFO experiences, which are often traumatic in nature, unlock these doors in the mind? One of the biggest issues with looking at these phenomena is the investigator's approach. Greg Bishop suggests that investigators should start with no preconceptions about what they are seeking. The goal should be only to gather information from witnesses. They should also begin to ask questions about subjective impressions, such as, how did it make you feel? Employing the skills of qualified mental health professionals should be a priority with an idea towards helping the witness integrate the experience on their own terms. So, while multiple contributors to this volume are peering into the consciousness aspects of the UFO phenomena, the majority of researchers remain steadfast on a nuts-and-bolts approach to ufology. This is all fine and good. Perhaps the issue doesn't even lie in the divergence between hard data and a mind-based deconstruction, but in the question of whether the UFO phenomenon can convincingly be linked to something extraterrestrial to begin with. Carl Jung once stated, I'm puzzled to death about these phenomena because I haven't been able yet to make out with sufficient certainty whether the whole thing is a rumor with singular and mass hallucination or a downright fact. Either case would be highly interesting. This idea of mass hallucination can arguably be traced back to the inception of the modern UFO era. In 1947, Kenneth Arnold, an amateur pilot from Idaho, witnessed nine bright objects coasting along Mount Rainier in the southeast of Seattle, Washington. 
When interviewed by a local newspaper, he described the object's movement like that of a saucer skipping across water. Either lazy editing or a desperate attempt at a gripping headline, the newspaper mistakenly stated that Arnold had witnessed flying saucers in the air. Thus, the term had been coined, and thousands of reports began to trickle in of saucer-shaped objects plaguing the skies. Was this merely a case of hysteria? Or were people truly seeing saucer-shaped objects? And if so, were those saucers being piloted or controlled by non-human intelligences? In his 2015 book, How UFOs Conquered the World, Dr. David Clark explains that a hysteria of sorts could play a pivotal role in the entire phenomenal conjecture. What he has coined the UFO syndrome weaves in and out of a mythological stance on UFOs and their possible occupants. Clark believes that culture itself feeds the phenomenon, or the perception of it, in an endless feedback loop between stories passed down through media and genuine experiences. While Kenneth Arnold may indeed have seen something in the skies over Washington, it was a quote misconstrued that ushered in the entire flying saucer phenomenon, or syndrome, thereafter. Now, this is not to say that UFOs were not flying through our skies prior to Arnold's sighting, but what we have now ingrained so deeply in our minds as mechanisms piloted by non-human intelligences were forever hold a place in both cultural and individual experiences. With the elusiveness of the UFO and the complexity of its study ebbing and flowing between believers and skeptics, Clark mirrors some of the words Bishop did as well, stating that the UFO syndrome is fueled not only by the vagaries of human perception, but also by a strong psychological and cultural attachment to the theory and the protective efforts of a community of advocates, the ufologists. We can explore new paths all we want. What this comes down to are the ufologists. No matter how grounded in scientific method or how metaphysical or cerebral they choose to be, it comes down to those who decide to spend their time, knowledge, and resources studying the phenomenon. But instead of watching a phantom war between realists and dreamers, perhaps we might benefit from standing, if only for a little while, with one foot in each camp. Perhaps in seeking to bridge the divide between the two approaches, we can bring new life to a field that dies time and time again by our own hand and through our own blinkered perspectives. We must look beyond the strictures we've helped to create and bring life to a monster we want neither to destroy nor resurrect ever again. We must let it live on its own terms and in its own image. We may even look to James Whale's brilliant 1931 film for inspiration, with a naive yet passionate Dr. Frankenstein asks, Have you never wanted to do anything that was dangerous? Where should we be if nobody tried to find out what lies beyond? You never wanted to look beyond the clouds and the stars, or to know what causes the trees to bud, and what changes the darkness into light? But if you talk like that, people call you crazy. Well, if I could discover just one of these things, I wouldn't care if they did think I was crazy. Crazy 
or not. We must look at ourselves in a mirror so clear that the reflection staring back will lead us forward in ways we can only imagine. The reality of UFOs may bring us closer together than we ever thought possible, both here on Earth and, perhaps, somewhere in the cosmos we've only begun to explore. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes. Ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.